I, I would not have felt happy if I stopped at that point. But I was like, my body feels like it's done enough. And this is where ultra marathoning starts. Like this is where my like marathon experience, 10K experience ends. And this is where like my education begins. And so I kind of just swallowed it like someone might if they were in timeout with their best friend, you know, like where you're like, yeah, this is going to be a long one, but like we're going to have a little bit of fun because we can like pass notes across the room. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it. And this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again to Gooder for supporting this episode. I have more than a few different styles at this point, and I love them all. At $25 a pop, you can leave a pair in your car, your backpack, or really anywhere so that you'll never be without some shades. You can feel good about your purchase too, as 1% of Gooder's annual gross sales, that's not just profits, go directly to environmental nonprofits working towards making our world a better place. If you'd like to support me in the show, treat yourself to a pair or two or three of Gooder's and head over to Gooder.com and get free shipping with the code FTLR. Your face will thank you. We are proud to announce the newest sponsor of the podcast, Scratch Labs. Scratch Labs is a local Boulder-based sports nutrition brand known not just for their awesome sports nutrition products, but for their love of science and the community. I'll share a bit more about their products and how I use them. But for now, thank you to Scratch for supporting the podcast. Scratch will be a partner of the podcast this summer. And as always, supporting the brands that support the podcast helps to keep this machine rolling. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off all Scratch products through their website via the link in the show notes. You know that a big part of my life is optimization. I optimize for time, optimize for efficiency, and try to always optimize for my health and training. That's why I'm so excited to welcome our newest brand partner, Tubefore. But what's Tubefore? They're a natural sports nutrition supplement made from New Zealand blackcurrant berries. These are the most researched berries in the world, and those studies are showing that these berries have exceptionally high antioxidant levels, and they're proven to enhance athletic performance. That's gonna be a hell yes from me. These wonder berries, which is what I'm starting to call them, improve endurance, help kickstart recovery, and strengthen immunity. What athlete doesn't want all of that? So how can you use these in your daily routine? I take a serving before every single run. So go ahead and try out some two before. The code FTLR will save you 30% on 20, 10, and multi-serve packs. And remember that supporting our brand partners helps to support the podcast as well. That's twobefore.com, number two before.com, and code FTLR. We are finally here with Alexi Pappas after some technical difficulties. Alexi, thanks so much for taking some time to chat today and for bearing with me. Thank you. You know, nobody else knows that I just read your lips for a long time and that that is a skill of mine. I can read lips. Oh, you weren't joking when when you said we should just do this without any microphones. Yeah, I think that that would be a great episode because it would show people that they can 
have silence because they'd be forced to have silence because they wouldn't hear you either. And it would let me answer whatever question I wanted, no matter what, if I read your lips correctly or incorrectly. So that is something we will try next time, certainly. But here we are with both of our voices together. Amazing. Um, We did a podcast in the summer of 2020. So much has changed since then. Yeah. A question that I believe I've started asking since then has been, who is Alexi? Oh, wow. Um, well, I guess I'm just Alexi because, you know, when you're growing up, I feel like you look up to people and you want to be like certain people. Like I wanted to be Mia Ham and Britney Spears and these like specific individuals. And then I think you divert so much from other people eventually I think we all do, that we can only really be ourselves. And I think that's what I've found. So I would say I'm just me now. And I don't want to modify it with like job titles or activities because that seems unhealthy. But I hope I hope that uh, I guess I'm just me. I love that. Um, so we ran together almost exactly two weeks ago yeah. through... Pine, Colorado. We almost ran a race together. Yes. We got, <laughs> so we met up for a run, like a long run. And there was a 20K happening, like right when we were running that we almost entered. And I'm glad we didn't because we had so much more freedom on our run. And I think it was so pretty. But it was so funny that they were starting that race right <laughs> at that moment. So we, we ran for two and a half hours. Uh, we did some practice hiking yes. for your adventure the following weekend, which was what? I ran the Leadville 100 mile race. Uh, I wouldn't even call it a race. I would call that a trek for humans. <laughs> like what? And llamas. A, yeah. And llama. It is so like otherworldly to do that race. Like I just can't, you couldn't possibly have prepared me for what that was going to be. So I loved the headspace that you were in um, prior to the race. You told me you felt like a minivan, just ready, <laughs> ready to go, prepared, um, and that you were ready for a day of adventure. The goal of this podcast is exploring the why and understanding how we pursue excellence. What is excellence and how do people learn from someone who has the life experiences like you may have. Um, in the 20 plus hours that you spent adventuring around Leadville and Twin Lakes and Hope Pass, what was the most surprising component of where your where your mind took you? My mind? Because my body was very surprised by <laughs> by how I felt after mile 60. But my mind, well, you know, in the spirit of your your podcast theme of pursuing excellence. I think that something that... So the most important thing to becoming excellent is is having range. And, you know, in, in chasing like a big Olympic dream, you never are meant to replicate exactly what you're going to do in the race in practice. You're actually meant to stretch the boundaries of the like you're supposed to have range basically. So like you're meant to go longer and slower, faster and shorter so that the race feels both short and slow, whatever the distance, right? That's the idea. 
And the surprising part for me, I guess mentally was, I suppose like what it really takes to walk a mile and how slow that can be. And when you have 40 of them through the night, just, it was just, um, you know, truly with ultra, you kind of like live through a lot. Um, and you can, but you still have to. And I think that's where it's a sport of like deep maturity. And, you know, Mikey, my pacer said this thing before the race that actually ended up being very, very, very helpful. And he said that ultra is about making a lot of decisions quickly and committing to them. And he basically was like, you can't sit in the in-between. And I was like, that is such good advice. And I'm sure this will come into play. And sure enough, like there was a time when I needed to recalibrate and accept that walking was like the best I could do, but it, that that was fine. And it was when I was in the in-between state, like a feeling a little bit of shame about it because I'm still not used to walking, as you know, that I was struggling the most. Like the hardest part of the race was when I didn't feel satisfied with like the inevitable decision I had to make. But once I like fully clicked over, it became a lot easier. Pain became a sensation and not a threat. But I think it's when you're in between the decisions that your your mind is most challenged rather than experiencing pain or some other sensation you're going to feel as well. So Billy Yang put out a movie in around the 2016 Western States called Life in a Day. And it talked about exactly what you said, like you live a lot in that day and you see all the ranges of emotion and and what you learned about making the quick decisions is super cool because, right, like that's important in life. Somebody once told me if it's not a fuck yes, it's a fuck no. And the mm-hmm. time that you spend in between deciding yes or deciding no is time wasted, that you could be pursuing that yes or turning away that no. And that's the piece that eats at you. And I've had that piece eat at me in dating, in a job, in friendships, like in running, all of these things. And my friend Zoe and TJ have the run coaching company Microcosm, and they call it Microcosm because running is a microcosm for life. And like everything related to life can be like found in that day, in the way that you experienced it, in the way that you were like, yeah, you know what? We just have to make a decision right now. Yeah. I think that what was cool about it was like, I was the least prepared I probably could have been for that race. I'll be honest with you. And you and I talked about, I took a month off every exercise, like any kind of movement because I wore those silly platform shoes to my cousin's wedding in Montreal. And like, got tight muscles or something. (laughs) So I was really unprepared. And so like, in terms of like what it did for me as a human and an athlete, I feel that I like stretched myself in the slow, long way, probably more than I ever will have to in an athletic feat. Because if I ever decide to do it again, I would be better prepared (laughs) based on that experience and based on maybe doing actual training and hydrate knowledge and things like that. So it felt like I put in like the hardest workout I've ever put in in my entire life. Like it definitely was like the hardest thing my body's ever gone through. But I don't know. That's cool too. Like it's cool when you realize you like put in a body of work. That's not why you do it, but it is one of the results. Yeah. 
one of the things that you said on our run, we were talking about hiking and we were talking about how you were running with friends and the Olympian mindset and you just don't back down. And it's really hard to ease up. I think that there's a lot that can be learned in the grace that you gave yourself after 100K. I talked to Gwen Jorgensen on the podcast uh, a year ago or so, and I was like, I'm not interested in what it was like to win an Olympic gold medal. I want to know what happened next. And she talked about how she was not afraid of failure. She was afraid of success. And so it was like, she was afraid of the next component, like now what? Um, And so this like Olympic mindset or the mindset of someone who's able to do something and focus on sustainably improving or not sustainably improving so much so that you're better at that craft than almost everyone else on the planet, we can learn a lot from that. Again, it's not about crossing the line and winning a gold medal. That's not relatable and not sure that there's a lot that somebody who's not going to experience that is going to take away from it besides the fact that it's cool and awesome and like yeah. really impressive. But it's the it's the human nature of I can't back off or it's really hard for me to back off. Or today I woke up and I went to put on my clothes and my neck was like, nope, you're not going for a run today. And you're probably also not going to turn your head to the left or right because whatever. And I didn't run today. And it was really hard to accept that I wasn't going to do my workout today because like, I couldn't even jog. Um, and so I'm curious for you, that, that particular moment when you were running in fifth for a lot, of, a lot of the day, I'm sure you knew that or maybe you knew you were you know, up towards the front. When it got to the point where you had to make that decision of, I need to give myself grace and, and walk, yeah. where was your head at? Well, so I did not know how steep Hope Pass was. And I know that everyone's like, UTMB is way steeper in this and that. But like, guys, I'm a freshman in this world. So for me, like, that was a lot. And I took way too many salt pills, which I didn't know. Like, I was like, oh, I guess like your body gets all messed up. And like, I should have known because I was like, I need to drink from all these creeks. Like, I was like, literally like pulling over at every creek and just like drinking from creeks without always having the filter that you had. Um, I didn't get Giardia though, but so, (laughs) so, okay. Like, look, I think I knew ahead of time that I could not possibly predict how I would feel every 10 mile increment or so, right? Like it's too new for me. Therefore, I actually didn't worry about it. And I knew like a child in a school play who just suddenly forgets his lines, I might suddenly be like unpleasantly surprised by how I feel. But I knew that ahead of time. And I knew that that wasn't something I was trying to prevent so much. Like it really wasn't because I didn't even have the tools to prevent it. I didn't have the training. I didn't have the nutrition knowledge. I just was trying to like feel myself in any given moment and like honor where I was at and um, and try to have like a positive, like a like a, a, a joie de vie about it of like, oh, if I feel like terrible, it's like, well, I guess I feel terrible. And so when I came down Hope Pass, I remember my legs were like, I was like having trouble. It felt like putting a lot of pressure in the running way because my quads were so sore. And I guess dehydration can make that worse. 
But really, like, I should have probably, like, taken, like, a solid fuel break and, like, really reset. But where my mind was at, to answer your real question, was I really looked to Mikey, my pacer, and I was like, look, I don't know how much I can, like, run. I'm okay walking. And he was like, it doesn't matter. You're finishing. And I think what was nice about having a pacer who was both, like, kind and accepting of where I was at but also like not going to abandon me and not going to let me abandon myself was that he kind of took the decision out of my head. I would have felt okay. I I would not have felt happy if I stopped at that point, but I was like, my body feels like it's done enough. And this is where ultra marathoning starts. Like this is where my like marathon experience, 10 K experience ends. And this is where like my education begins And so I kind of just swallowed it like someone might if they were in timeout with their best friend, you know, like where you're like, yeah, this is going to be a long one, but like, we're going to have a little bit of fun because we can like pass notes across the room. And I'll be honest with you. I spent like probably eight miles apologizing to Mikey because like, I really wanted to run with him and I felt bad for my crew. And I was like, I would do anything to be able to run right now, but it doesn't feel like it's, it didn't feel quite like safe on my legs. Like I just think I've never gone that incline before. I've never run 16,000 feet in the air or whatever it is. Um, So he helped me like realize that it wasn't a shameful thing. And then once I like, there was like a moment where I finally clicked over to being like, no, it's, it's amazing to finish this race and to accept that. And that was like a real big moment is to accept that the real goal was to finish and to have like a good attitude about it, right? Like you want to you want to have a good attitude. So you initially told me that your plan was to beat the cutoffs. That's what I thought. So the reason why I went out so fast is because I thought that I was going to get pulled off the course. I thought I was going so slow because when I started out, thousands of people were ahead of me and I was like, oh man, I might not even make the cutoffs. And at every water stop, I was like, are they going to get me? I was like this hook going to like pulling out the course. And my crew was just like, they're not going to get you. You're okay. But they didn't really tell me like where I was. So I thought I was like maybe on the verge. And then there was this girl that was like, I don't want to get cut off. And I was running with her after mile like 35. And she was like, I hope we don't get pulled off. I think we might. And I was like, shit, like we're going to get pulled off the course. So like, I feel like I thought I was a lot slower than I was because there was all these whispers of like getting pulled off. And I was like, we're in the hunger games. We can't get pulled out. Um, Meanwhile, there were 500 people behind you. (laughs) I just didn't realize. Like I just, I was listening to my music too. And I was just like, thought it was I just thought maybe I was closer to getting pulled out than I was. At what point did you realize that you weren't? Well, I realized that I wasn't when we were coming into the Twin Lakes before Hope Pass and my team was like, I think you're in fifth. And I was like, what? Because I had already stopped and like was like drinking from creeks and was like just felt like a little like kind of like a little adventure kid out there. I didn't know I was at that point until they said that. And then I then I kind of got into competitive mode, it felt like, without um, proper fueling. So I was like <laughs> mentally and physically like, let's go and didn't um, probably replenish myself enough to like to follow through with that plan. Was there a, like a piece of you that 
was like, oh, I'm in fifth. I should compete now. Yes, for sure. I was like, oh, I, I, well, because also like, I felt strong out there. Like I felt like an athlete out there. I felt capable. I felt that that the things that were limiting me were were maybe fitness and knowledge of, and nutrition. I didn't think that I didn't belong out there like inherently. Um, so yeah, I felt competitive with a with a with a dose of humility, knowing that at any moment I could feel terrible. Incredible. If you've been enjoying this podcast and can spare 90 seconds of your time today, can you do me a favor? Can you pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review? It helps other people find and enjoy the podcast too. Thanks so much. We are proud to be sponsored by a local Boulder-based sports nutrition company that we all know and love, Scratch Labs. As you may know, last year I went to their facility here in Boulder and got a sweat test done. They were able to tell me how much salt I'm losing during a workout and recommend sports nutrition from there. Long story short, I'm a salty sweater and need to replenish perhaps more than the average person. But that's not all. About a year ago, I started working with sports dietitian Kylie Van Horn. Kylie is the owner of Fly Nutrition and a coach within Microcosm. I was having a lot of GI issues pre-run and during the run, so David, my coach, suggested I work on nutrition with Kylie. I switched my nutrition pre-run to purely liquid fueling, and while that didn't solve 100% of what I'd been dealing with, it sure has helped. Fast forward a year and more, and Scratch's products have helped kept me fueled and energized through plenty of strong workouts and long runs, as well as some big adventure days in the mountains. Their super high carb mix is exactly that. It's full of what you need and goes down super smooth. When you give your body what it needs, you'll truly enjoy it for the long run. You can grab energy bars, chews, hydration mix, recovery drink mix, and super high carb drink mixes for your big days from scratch to fuel your training and upcoming adventures. I use the lemon lime super high carb mix every single day. I use a half serving within an hour of all morning runs, and it's my main fuel source for road long runs. For trail adventures, I use a couple servings in my bottles and supplement that with the chews or other fun trail snacks. You can use the code FTLR20 for 20% off your order at the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Scratch for supporting the show. We're all constantly looking for ways to improve our performances. One thing we truly love about this community is our determination to always be getting better and go hard at whatever goals we may have. Our partners over at 2Before help us continue to grow and expand our athletic capabilities through their New Zealand blackcurrant berries. But John, how can berries from New Zealand help me improve my performance? I'm glad you asked, podcast listener. The thing that got me hooked was a meta-analysis I read of 16 studies on New Zealand blackcurrants that found a strong performance benefit with no negatives. Combining the blackcurrant powder with four to eight ounces of water or whatever liquid you prefer helps you increase your blood flow, making it more efficient for your body to pump that good oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood into your muscles, improving your endurance. It also helps to reduce muscle soreness and helps manage inflammation. I've also been using it to help keep my immune system riding high with all the trails, roads, and plains that I'm on. Go on over to twobefore.com to grab some for yourself with the code FTLR to save 30% on 20, 10, and multi-serve packs. Thanks again to the team over at Two Before for supporting this community. That's Two Before, number two before.com. So there was a fine line there between like the, I think I'm at the back of the pack. I need to keep moving oh, wow, I'm in fifth, I want to compete, oh, I need to back off. That's like a lot of roller coaster vibes. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, but it's um it's a fun way to live though. Like <laughs> I remember one time there was this US champs. I was still competing for the US and it was like a US champs on a world's year and it was a 10k and I was like not necessarily going to make the team. It was like the year where it was like Shalane and Molly Huddle and like everyone, but I was like I will stay in the top 3 for as long as I can until I die. Because why else am I here at this particular race? And look, that's not the goal of Leadville. But I think in that moment, I was like, wherever I'm at, I'm just going to try and like be in this world for as long as I can and see what this is all about. It was a roller coaster because when we turned around, so you go up and over Hope Pass, you go down Hope Pass, then you turn around And it was so steep coming back up that it was offensive to me. Like I did not have poles and everyone had poles. I ran out of water and like I was so dehydrated, I guess, that I like was just like, I was like, I think I have to stop the race now. And then this guy in jorts comes by me. I think they were like fake jorts, but I I was only seeing jorts. And he was like, you have to take smaller steps. And I was like, what? He was like, smaller steps. And I was like, all right. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. He was like, you can definitely do it. You need to take smaller steps. And so I took smaller steps. And then this other guy was like, would you like to drink from the creek with me? And his name was Drew. And we sat in this creek and he like fed me water through that filter thing. And then I made this, there was a girlfriend that I made and we sat on the side and like fed each other snacks. And we were like, this hill is crazy. And then I saw somebody else taping another guy's foot up and another guy was like praying. And I was like, this is so wild. And like, so when you say like, I went through roller coasters, I was also seeing like, things that only Alice sees in Wonderland at that point in the way of like just humans helping humans, humans needing help, humans going and stopping. And like, I was like, this is more than a race. This is not a race at all. This is a trek. Like, so I don't know. I just felt so lucky and so unprepared. And part of why I feel so grateful is because the surprise factor is part of the joy in ultra running, right? Like you don't need to over-prepare for an ultra race. Maybe if you want to win, but it's almost better to be just prepared enough that you can enjoy the delights and the surprises that will come your way, you know? I love that. And and there were llamas involved. Yes, the llamas. (laughs) And that whole... And they were carrying up watermelon, which I put salt on, of course. I shouldn't have done that. Salt on everything. I'm telling you, I could not have had more salt in that race. Um, were your hands huge? Yes. My <laughs> hands looked like gummy bears. And my feet still look like gummy bears. And like, when everyone was like, you know, you should have known because like your face was covered in like salt. <laughs> like, but so, yeah. So you had this epic experience that, again, you have to be there to understand. And very few people on this planet get to experience like the chaos that is a hundred mile race. Now you have, what What did you learn? Um, I learned, okay, obviously I learned about hydration and nutrition. I learned that that month off that I took where all I did was take Epsom baths, have bone broth, eat liver, the things I told you about was actually like really good because my body was dense enough to handle it. So it was nice to be like, my body can do anything. Like it may not do it as fast 
as it could in every circumstance, but it can do anything. I learned that people are so kind and respectful in ultra running because just doing the distance is an accomplishment. Like the amount of like, you know, sometimes in, in Olympic track running, there's a shame associated with not running a PR or not running an Olympic standard. And there was nothing, there was like no shame at all. Like it was like, shame is not allowed in ultra running. It just is as doesn't exist. I mean, it, it does within yourself, but you can let it go. Um, I learned, I learned, I don't know. I felt like I was in another time. Like I felt like, you know, people who are like curious or they play video games that they're in like another time like they play Oregon Trail or this and that. I was like, this is as close as I'll probably ever get to living in another time. Um, and I think I learned, yeah, like maybe what a mile, like a mile feels different now. It feels longer. It also feels shorter. So you kind of think about a mile differently. And I really love people. Like, I really appreciate when people give love to one another. It is so different than giving love to yourself. And to allow yourself to receive love as you must. When you are running an ultra, you have to let people take care of you a little bit. And you have to take care of other people. That love is so powerful. And it's so easy to give, it seems. And yet you feel like it's so magnanimous when you receive it. It's one thing to attend a marathon and see people reaching the depths of reaching to the peak of human performance and and finding their edge. The the razor blade is much more sharp in a marathon, um, but it's a very dull blade in a in an ultra. I've done a handful, never a hundred. I've run up to forty two miles in the Grand Canyon, so I've I've touched that blade a couple of times. And the reason I say it this way is the marathon is is a beast in and of itself. I raced a mile, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and like yeah. that's a physical pain that is impossible to replicate. The the mental aspect of a hundred miles when my I've seen it from the the spectator side, the crewing side, and the pacing side. There's nothing more beautiful than when someone strolls into an aid station at mile 80 and everyone there is just trying to help them. And all that they're there to do is to help them feel better or feel good enough to to put another foot forward. You were you were just talking about the um the beauty of celebrating others and and whatnot. But talk to me what it what it feels like to to be in that place where you walk into or you run into this aid station. Maybe it's May Queen at eighty six. What's Alexi feeling? How's the what's the love like in that arena? Well, it's calm. It's like no one is trying. You know, sometimes in like road races or miles, people are like screaming at you, and it's like that's the hype of track, and and I don't mind that. But it's like, this is like a more composed kind of support where like they're trying to meet you where you are and help you go to where you're trying to go. And it's like a very sensitive thing, I think, to be in person at an aid station in one of those spots. I felt that like, I I kind of just felt like 
that this was life now. Like I think when you're going for that long and especially when you walk a good part of it or hike a good part of it, you kind of start to feel like this is life and that you are a traveler and you go to different towns and you meet the people there and then you will continue. And I do feel like once you finish, you cross the finish line, your body just stops being able to work, right? That's like a weird phenomenon. But if there was... In any any distance. Right, yeah. But if there was 10 more miles, you would just keep going to the next town. And I think like there's something like very human, like it's a very human experience. Like we're traveling, wandering people to have that experience, both probably from the receiving end as an athlete and from the giving end as like an aid person where like you just service this human experience of moving. And I think I'll I'll just share one memory at the space rave I remember I was like, yeah, the space rave, you know, you're like dancing and like, you're like, yeah, this hurts a lot. Like you just ascended this other hill. And then I remember the guy was like so relaxed and chill. And he's like, now get on your way. And I was like, oh, and he, he was like, yeah, you got to go get to the finish line now. And it was so cool. Cause like the aid station people, you know, they were taking care of you. They wanted you to have your fluids and enjoy yourself, but they really wanted you to get to the finish line. They really wanted you to succeed they were not looking for you to fail. And I feel like it was like the kindest, like gruffest people I've ever met. You know what I mean? It's like, these are like mountain people who are just like super nice, but also like your best captain, a big brother you maybe never had, you know, a cousin. Like they all felt like that out there. Um, And I just felt so lucky to be included because I feel like, people could have been mean to me or something. I don't know why you're just like, you know, what what nerve you have to enter a race like this, but nobody was mean at all. They were exactly the opposite. So she was referring to Space Camp, which is an unofficial aid station at the top of the power line climb, which you hit at like mile, you hit the climb at like mile 78. Everyone hits it, almost everyone hits it in the dark. So there are glow sticks, there are, there's a full bar of, of, uh, soda, alcohol, all sorts of other stuff. And the people there are there for a hell of a time and there for a hell of a night. Um, it was it was wild. That was quite an experience. I can't imagine just like being there at 3 a.m. or whatever time it was and like stumbling into that in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, you're. it's um, maybe like what ultras really prepare you for is the ability to expect that there's always something to look forward to. Like, I don't know what it is. Honestly, I think we should talk again in like six months because you can't really even absorb it right away. Um, it's hard to absorb this right away. You'll have to do another one. Um, <laughs> I'd love that. Do, do we have a couple of minutes to talk about the book? Yeah, I think we can do like a five minute... Oh my God, Gretchen, my kitten is eating my snack. Gretchen. So you have your first book behind you, but you're now a, a two-time published author. Is, is that correct? Second. This That's is your second book. One. It's, a, it's a young adaptation of the first one. Got it. So someone's listening. They're like, I loved her first book. What am I going to learn from the second? Or who should be reading the second one? The second book. So Bravey, for young readers is for nine to 14 year olds, give or take. 
And it is... It's different than the first one in that some some adaptations, they just have an editor like truncate a book. But I really rewrote chapters, pulled things out that felt useless to a nine-year-old, um, such as talking about long-distance relationships um, <laughs> and replaced it with newer lessons that I'm really excited about and handwritten poems and a foreword by Maya Hawk. And I think what it is is much more instructional than memoir, which is what I would have wanted when I was like 12 years old. I wouldn't have necessarily needed to know every life detail from somebody else. I think I would have wanted to know the secrets of the universe more. And so I shared every secret of my universe so far um, with hopes that it's useful, you know, just just helpful to younger people. Awesome. Where can Where can people find it if they want to purchase it? Anywhere you buy books. <laughs> and You've gotten me, really good at saying that. Yeah, I feel like that's like the ad. Um, and I wanted to also just thank you for helping me learn how to hike because you really did make me feel more comfortable on our run. Because I did so little training, the few runs I did before were like the only training runs I really did. And our long run together was like a huge confidence booster in so many ways. And you made me feel calm and you made me feel curious and you made me feel like I wasn't alone because I knew you were out there pacing as well. Amazing. That was a, a super fun run. I'm glad we didn't do the race. Um, we had we had quite a time. We we learned how to make picnic tables and hike up hike up mountains. So it was a it was a good day. Yes. And and if I ever do it again, I feel like I should come out sooner and we should like train proper, you know? It's a good idea. Do you ever get curious about that? Are you do you ever run a race and you're like, I should I want to train now? Um are you always prepared for your races? <laughs> I like I like training a lot. So I, I'm although I'm running I'm running a fifty five K in in September and my longest long run will be twenty miles. So I will probably be a little underprepared for that one. Um, so I'll I'll be right there. Yeah. Cool. Well, Alexi, this was a blast. Um, next time you're out in Colorado, we'll run and hike more mountains and drink from more uh, mountain creeks. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful. Likewise. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland. It takes a village. 